Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. The size of the pigment itself plays a huge role in how the paint is going to look in terms of its transparency or opacity. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show where we work to answer the question, how do you get better at painting? I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers, and in this week's mini episode, we are getting at the heart of pigment with Mary Weisenberger from Gamblin. Paint has particular characteristics. We talk about them all the time on the show. But why are some paints more opaque than others? Why is the tinting strength in some pigments really powerful and others not so much? And what's the difference between student grade and professional grade really? All of these questions can be answered when we look into what pigments are themselves. And that's exactly what we're doing in today's episode. You'll discover what's inside your tubes of paint and why it matters. Now, Gamblin is a company that makes high-quality artist oil pigments, and while we do look through the lens of oil, so much of what we discuss extends to watercolor and acrylic. For show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 43. And if you find yourself really appreciating these conversations, consider supporting the show through Patreon. Head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash support to learn more. All right, here we go. Hi, Mary. Welcome to the mini episode. Today we're talking about paint. So first, the basics. When we squeeze out any paint from a tube, what are we squeezing out? Thanks, Kelly. I'm real excited to be on the podcast. And that's a good question about what exactly is in oil paint. The basic ingredients are incredibly simple. For oil color, it's a simple mixture of pigment, which is the color, that's the the main component, and then what's referred to as the binder for the paint, what holds the pigment in place. And for oil paint, that binder is oil. And there's a variety of different oils that you can use for a binder. I'd say the most common is linseed oil, being that it dries the fastest and forms a flexible paint film. But other companies uh, use a variety of oils like walnut, safflower, in addition to linseed. But the two basic components are just colored pigment and the oil binder. Why is binder added to a paint? Like, what's the purpose of binder? Well, if you didn't have a binder for the paint itself, you would just have a fine powder as your material to work with, which is loose, can plume into the air, and is difficult to control. What the binder serves as is to hold that pigment powder into place and to give that paint its flow 
like when you're putting it in your brush and spreading it across the canvas, it's the binder in your paint that is giving it its texture and consistency and also keeping that powder in place for, for your color pigment. Where do pigments come from? Pigments come from all over the world. And what's really amazing is how there are hundreds of different locations where pigments come from. Many are derived from mineral compounds from the earth. Iron oxides are a great example, like your browns, siennas, ochres. Uh, and then there are also pigments that are made from carbon and synthetically derived too in laboratories. So the origin of pigments is a really fascinating avenue of research because they are all over the world and there's such a huge variety in terms of different colors and their purposes that they can do for an artist. You said those pigments are basically like powder. Do they all come in the same size and shape? Like when we're talking about the granular level, are all those pigments the same? They vary widely. And the size of the pigment itself plays a huge role in how the paint is going to look in terms of its transparency or opacity, meaning how opaque or its coverage. The larger the particle size, the more opaque that pigment is going to be. And the smaller and finer it is, the more transparent it will look as it dries. And this can vary quite a bit from different pigments. And a lot of the time, it's just the inherent nature of that raw material. So in a, when an artist is squeezing out, let's say, quinacridone or cadmium, cadmium's more opaque and quinacridone is generally more transparent. Is that because of the, the particle size of the pigment? Exactly. And in, in fact, quinacridone is my favorite pigment that I, I love its transparency so much. And comparing it to cadmium red is a really good side-by-side -side compare and contrast because if you look at a cadmium pigment on a molecular level, it's very large, very dense, and round. And if you were to look at a quinacridone pigment at that same level on, on a molecular scope, it would be almost a completely different looking pigment in terms of how fine and just how much smaller the particulate size is. And that directly translates to if your paint is going to be more transparent or if it's going to be a heavier, more opaque. And that's what cadmiums in particular are really prized for by painters is for their amazing coverage and their opaque nature for, for just how strong that is. They're really prized for that. Well, then how does something like tinting come into that particle size? Is that Does the characteristics of the pigment also affect the tinting quality, like how powerful it is? Yes, tinting strength as well. This plays a, a big role in the particle size of the pigment. And in general, a pigment's tinting strength can be reliant on how fine 
the particle size of the pigment itself is. In general, the more transparent pigments have a higher tinting strength than the opaque ones. So if you want to compare another example, a color like cerulean blue, which is very opaque, has a much more weak tinting strength than by comparison phthalo blue or prussian blue which are very transparent those transparent blues tend to really overpower a color mixture say if you were mixing with white to get a nice sky blue you would need much less of that transparent phthalo than you would the cerulean to get to that specific light blue color that you were tinting I love talking about this because when we first start out painting, we think like a blue is a blue is a blue. And then we realize very quickly, like, wait, why is this blue that I don't know the name of it? Because we haven't yet learned the artist's color names. And this blue that I also don't know the name of it. Like, why are they doing such different things? And we often think like, oh, it's me. I'm messing up, but it's no, they just do different things. Yeah, and it takes some time and practice, but once you learn the different characteristics and personalities on how pigments perform, it can really open doors in terms of guiding you and getting your artistic intention. That's something that at Gamblin, we've always strived to do for artists is to be a technical resource when they have questions or need to troubleshoot something like picking out a palette for a specific painting. And it's really fun to, to watch as painters discover their palettes and really craft their knowledge so that they could learn so much in terms of what pigments have to offer for their artwork. And I should actually do a quick plug for Gamblin, and we'll have links to everything in the show notes, but Gamblin on their website has a bunch of great resources for artists, including places where you can like talk to an actual person and ask actual questions, which incredible. And I'll have links to all of that in the show notes. So then thinking about particles and binders and all this, what is the difference between professional grade and student grade paint? You know, that's probably a question we get more often than any when it comes to choosing your paint. And it's important not only for beginners, but also for a professional working artist, because knowing what's in your paint and how it compares can be crucial to your working process. The main difference between what you call a student grade and then an artist grade or professional grade usually boils down to the pigment load in the paint itself. So an artist's grade professional paint has the highest pigment load to the overall paint recipe. And with a student grade paint, some of that pigment is normally replaced. And Gamblin has our 1980 oil color line. And these are technically our student grade line, but professionals use them to great success. The pigment itself is often the most expensive raw material when it comes to the cost making an oil color. And in the case of the 1980 line, some of that pigment is replaced with what's called marble dust or calcium carbonate. And marble dust itself 
is a pigment, but it's a colorless one that helps contribute or extend the paint mixture. If you were to take our 1980 ultramarine blue as, as an example and directly put it side by side with the artist grade ultramarine blue straight from the tube, these two look identical to one another and they'll feel the same. They will be really beautiful. Ultramarine blue just has such a stunning appearance, but where, where you would notice a difference between the two would be when you start to mix colors and in the overall tinting strength once again contributes to this because when there's less pigment there's a lower tinting strength and that comes into play when you're mixing with other colors you'll need less of the professional grade than you would the student grade now lots of people use the student grade even though they're no longer a student and it it good examples of that would be artists who work really large or really thick really heavy application of paint or both large and thick at the same time using a student grade really can make a difference on your budget and what's great about the 1980 line from gamblin is that all of the same high quality pigments linseed oil the care and love that's utilized in the manufacturing process and the careful quality control all of that is equal to one another when it comes to how the paint is made and the main difference just boils down to pigment load and how that may or may not affect your desired paint quality one of the things oil is known for is it taking a long time to dry or taking long time is relative often when someone gets started in oil drying time is a consideration so why does oil take that time to dry and what is actually happening in the paint when that's happening? This is something that we often have asked when someone is switching from, say, an acrylic or watercolor gouache and diving into oil paint. The, the dry time can be a huge learning curve because it does take a lot longer by comparison. Oil paint, unlike acrylic, it dries by oxidation, meaning oxygen is pulled into the paint. And this is a slower process because it takes time for that to absorb and then the individual molecular chains within the oil link up slowly over time as that oxygen is absorbed into the paint film. Meanwhile, with an acrylic paint, they dry primarily by evaporation, meaning that the paint is off-gassing, and that is a much faster process than oxidation. Evaporation happens much quicker, and oxidation of paint is just a slower process, which can be frustrating if you're not used to a slower dry time. I would predict most paint when applied relatively thinly will be touch dry within several days to a week on average and then the thicker you apply that paint the longer it's going to take for the oxygen to fully develop in the paint layer so the thicker you're applying the oil color the longer it takes for that oxidation process to complete itself 
So how does the fat over lean concept come into this? Because is fat over lean thick over thin, or is it something else or a combination of both? It has more to do with the oil content of the paint rather than the physical thickness of the paint itself. So when you think of something that's lean or thin, it's a paint layer which has less oil in it and usually a solvent at play. And if you think of something as fatter or thicker, we're referencing the paint layer when it has a higher oil content to it or more richness in its oil. And it's a process of making sure that your lower layers have less oil and the upper ones have a greater oil content. And that's what helps form layers that adhere well to one another and stay flexible with time. When should an artist start considering opacity? Where will that start affecting things? A good example of how an opaque paint can be useful is when you're considering what is going over it next or what it is being applied over. Opaque pigments are good for, as an example, the highlight of an eye in a portrait when you want that to really have a focal point in your subject matter, having a nice opaque highlight or accent can really bring the subject matter to life when you're adding those final highlights and details to a painting. On the reverse end of that, if someone is wanting to have a really luminescent glaze layer or a transparent layer, you ideally would have a very opaque layer below your colored glaze, like a bright opaque titanium white would be ideal as your base for when you apply a transparent layer of color over because that opacity and that brightness will help the glaze look more luminous as light bounces through the transparent glaze layer, hits that opaque white, and then comes back at the viewer's eye. So having an opaque base would be really important for the optical illusion of glazing or um, when it's used on top being the highlight or focal point of your subject matter. And you just mentioned something that I think is important to highlight that one of the things that's happening with transparent colors is part of the reason why they glow or part of the reason why they seem transparent is because we are like looking through and the light is then reflecting back as opposed to with the opaque, nothing's getting out of there. Those particles are big and no light is coming out. Is that true? Is that a true representation of that? Yes, you nailed it, actually. It's the way that light is reflecting off of the surface, and that just plays a huge role in how that pigment is going to appear to the eye. So then, from a viscosity standpoint, how thick or thin something is, does all oil paint have the same viscosity coming out of the tube, and then does that change between brands? That often can vary hugely depending on the pigment itself. It can result in a different texture or consistency in how the paint feels and handles. A great example of this is when you look at an iron oxide burnt umber as it, it often is dense, sometimes dry as well. 
the earth tone pigments in general have a thicker consistency from the tube and they don't appear as glossy. They can often look more matte and dry. Meanwhile, a pigment like sap green is a great color example to contrast that against because it is oily and slick and very glossy and juicy from the tube. And the way that these paints can differ usually boils down to the characteristics of the pigment itself and how they handle. They're different personalities, once again. And for a paint maker, you can modify the consistency of a paint with either adding in more pigment or more oil. The more oil you add, often the looser and more fluid a paint becomes. In the Gamblin range, our colors all have a varying degree of different viscosities from color to color. And you can expect that too when you're comparing and contrasting different brands of paint. One company's burnt umber may be different than a different company's burnt umber, even when that same exact pigment is being used for the color. The formulation can change, and this boils down sometimes to personal preference and the color maker's, you know, preference on consistency. And it's another reason why we offer a line of mediums and additives for artists in case they want to change the way the paint flows, make it more fluid, make it dry a little slower with additional oil, all sorts of ways that you can take the paint straight from the tube and then modify it. So if someone is just getting started with oil, is there sort of a basic kit that you would recommend? And does that include both oil and what the oil paints themselves and something else? Or could you just walk through your suggestions for how you would suggest someone gets started in oil paint. Yeah, that can be intimidating too. And the best advice I can often give someone brand new to oil painting is to keep things simple. Great, simple recommendations can really set you up to not get too confused or too turned around. And once you find a good palette of colors, what I would recommend is getting linseed oil as what you can use to extend the paint out and give it more flow. What you would also want to consider is a mild solvent. For example, we have one Gamsol, our odorless mineral spirit. This is great for brush cleanup at the end when you're finished with your painting session and you want to clean your brushes out. Gamsol can also be used as a thinning agent for the paint in addition to linseed oil. And the advantage of when you start using a solvent like Gamsol is that now instead of just oxidizing, like we were talking about earlier, now your paint also has evaporation at play. And this can help speed up the dry time of thin paint layers when you have a solvent that's evaporating and your paint isn't drying just solely by the oxidation. If someone is looking at a Gamblin tube of paint, what information will they find on there? Like how should they read that in the art store? 
And when you do step into an art store, it can be very challenging with how there are hundreds of different colors to pick from. Typically, when you're looking at a tube of paint, the main thing you'll first see is the color name. Often, the color name has some connection to the pigment that's used. So, for example, if you have a color like cobalt turquoise, it's a cobalt-derived metal pigment that has a turquoise hue family. And usually, too, the paint maker will have a color swatch on the label printed. It will give you an, an idea of what that color is going to look like when you squeeze it out. The other information that you should look for when picking a paint is you can actually find the exact pigment index number that is used for the pigment and these are assigned universally so the same pigment that is used in an oil color may also be used in an acrylic paint as well and learning those pigment numbers can be handy because sometimes the pigment really gives you insight on how that color is going to perform. If you're familiar with that pigment, you may also find that some colors have multiple pigments listed on the label, and this can give you more insight into how that color is going to behave. On the label, too, there's other important information like the opacity or transparency. Is it semi-transparent, opaque? transparent. This can really help you when you're trying to figure out what type of paint you want. The other information listed is going to be the vehicle binder in case your preference is linseed, walnut, safflower. This information is going to be listed on the tube. And finally, the light fastness rating is an important piece of information that you can derive from the physical label of the tube. Light fastness is a term that describes if the paint is prone to fading with time and it's a high light fastness rating is what you want to look for if you want to be absolutely certain that your paint isn't prone to either fading or discoloring when it's exposed over time to uv sunlight in the gambling line all of our paints have excellent light fastness quality with the exception of alizarin crimson in most brands of paint you'll find that alizarin crimson has has a low light fast quality to it. So over the many decades it's exposed to light, that red crimson will slowly fade. For that reason, we have a permanent version that's light fast, which is called alizarin permanent. And it's important for an artist to be looking up this information on their paint labels, because if you don't have quality light fastness to your pigment that means your painting could fade with time or you can also look into getting uv varnishes applied to it at the end if you do have a specific pigment that you prize but it has a poor light fastness rating you mentioned that word permanent at the end of the name of the paint and sometimes paints will have similar but then different names. And so, for example, like a cadmium yellow light and a cadmium yellow medium and then cadmium yellow deep, etc. As an artist heading into a paint store, how do we 
differentiate those? What is different between generally a light, medium, and a deep? It's all the same pigment, which is very fascinating on that subject. In the case of cadmium yellow, we'll use that. It's all made from the same type of pigment, which is concentrated cadmium zinc. So when you're looking at the pigment numbers, they're all the same. But what differentiates how the cadmium yellow light, which is a lighter value, from the medium is in the manufacturing process of how the pigment's made. Those cadmium paints are usually put into a furnace at high heat, temperatures exceeding over 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. And the longer the pigment is left in the furnace, translates to the deepness and value. So for the case of cadmium yellow light, it's the same cadmium pigment, but it was processed for a shorter period in the manufacturing environment, whereas the medium was left in the furnace for longer. And then the deep, which has the, the deepest value, receives the longest period of time in the heating process when that pigment is made. So technically all the same pigment just kept in the furnace a little bit longer. That's incredible. I did not know that. So this whole conversation we have gotten into, I mean, there's so much to know about color and does someone need to know all of this before they get started? Where does someone start with color? I think looking to the history of art is a really great way to wrap your mind around different pigments and which might be more helpful or less helpful to an artist in their practice. Pigment history and looking back through art history throughout the last five to six hundred years can be incredibly insightful for someone. And starting off with the classical Renaissance period, you'll notice that there access to color was very limited, where there were no intense reds, no bright blues, maybe a decent yellow, but mostly earth tones. And this was due to their access to the material. And you can really see that reflected when you look at the Renaissance period and just how subdued their color palettes were. And this was not by choice. This was due to their access to color. And then as you keep looking through art history, once we get to the Industrial Revolution, that's when all of the bright impressionist palettes began to form where cadmiums, cobalts, and these bright yellows and oranges began to make their way on the scene. And those came from the technology and development of the Industrial Revolution. And you can really see this shift in terms of the classical period moving into the period of the Impressionists and just how much brighter and opaque it became. Then moving into the now into modern pigments of the 20th century, they became even brighter. The carbon-based pigments that are often more difficult to pronounce too. It's where you get your tongue twisters like quinacridone and dioxazine and thalocyanide. And these really brought color into 
the the modern painter that we see today. And when you compare these different periods to one another, you can then see how the choice of pigment can play a big role in the voice of your painting. At the Gamblin website, if anyone wants to see a really great breakdown on that topic, check out the experience color section. And the exact article you want to find is Mineral and Modern Pigments, the Painter's Access to Color. It's an excellent article that'll really break down the, the different periods of art history and how they relate to pigments and learning that info can really be a game changer for then how you set up your own palette. If someone is new to oil but is sort of coming from a water media background, how does someone translate their water media information into how oil works? Does that make sense as a question? If you mean like what you use for water and watercolor, what would yeah. be what would be the equivalent for an oil paint is simply more oil often. Something like uh, linseed or there are also options you can find for contemporary mediums. We have some that are made from alkid, which is a soybean oil that dries faster than linseed. So either something like linseed could be used as the extender of the paint or a faster drying oil like our galkid is another option. So depending on if you prefer faster drying or slower drying, that can make a difference. You can learn more about Gamblin at their website, gamblincolors.com and on Instagram, and we'll link to everything in the show notes. And also check out their website because if you go to the Gamblin Colors section and click on an individual color, there's so much information there. Such a resource. So if you have color questions, head to the Gamblin website. And again, we'll link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mary. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. For show notes, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 43. I linked to the article Mary mentioned and to some of the great resources Gamblin offers. Seriously, go check out their website. What a treasure trove for artists. But before you go, click like and subscribe on your listening app. And if you've got a few more moments to spare, leave a review of the show. This helps other artists find the show and it makes a big difference. More big thank yous to everyone supporting on Patreon. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters, Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Catherine Ordway, and Pam Lyle. Happy painting. <laughs>